The Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet you get with Caesar Rewards. Must be 21 or older. Welcome back to the Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny. Only NFL podcasts. Where one of the hosts thinks wags aren't wives and girlfriends. They're what you do when you're happy. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. It's a joyous day. It's a joyous day because of a piece of NFL news that we will get to shortly involving, of course, my beloved Seattle Seahawks. But it's also a joyous day because, Greg Rosenthal, you've been coming on this show for years. This podcast has existed now for, I believe, six years, if I'm correct. Uh, it's been on YouTube for a couple years. And today marks the debut this week of the show on ESPN2 every Thursday at 2 p.m., if you prefer to consume your content that way, you can DVR it. DVR it anyway so that my numbers look good even if you don't plan on watching it. Greg, how do you feel making your ESPN2 debut? I mean, I feel good. I, I'm old enough to remember the days where, you know, you wouldn't even want to look at my face. You just kept the camera off because we were doing a podcast. That wasn't about your face. That was, I just, it's, you know, I like doing, I like being able to focus on audio. But I still, we, it's, we still focus on the audio. We just try to be presentable and, and smile more because there's a video component. Um, you know, but yeah, shout out to the day ones, you guys who have been listening for that long. I really appreciate you. Um, and I appreciate you consuming this in, in various platforms. This is a quiet week. Normally it's the week leading up to the pro bowl. It's the, uh, gentle calm before the storm that is the Super Bowl week. Next week, I will be dropping numerous podcasts, uh, previewing the Super Bowl, previewing the matchups. I will be in Las Vegas. We are doing a live show with Donnie Foxworth, Kevin Clark, and Bill Barnwell in Las Vegas. Uh, but this week, uh, we get we are taking some time to do a couple of things. One, to discuss all these coaching hires, some of which I've gotten to, but I, I haven't been able to get to a lot of them and it's not just head coaching hires it's also offensive defensive coordinator hires it's it's been a pretty busy significant week and who better to talk about those hirings and firings and decisions than with greg who you guys know also from around the nfl uh in addition to his many appearances on this show and then in the second half of the show we are going to go through the six teams last eliminated so in the divisional round and the championships and you and I are going to try to come up with one thing each that they have to do to get back to that position because mm. it's really what it's all about. How, how can you make it back? How can you go further? So enough prelude. Let's talk about Mike McDonald. Greg. You're so excited. I mean, you, you texted me the second this thing happened, and I was just imagining you making that face you made when the Seahawks drafted DK Metcalf. That was pretty much <sighs> what was happening at your house. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. People who listen to this know how I feel, and I'll get into all the reasons I'm excited about it and maybe some ones that I haven't. But I want to hear your opinion because we actually haven't talked about this. All I've done is told you just – via text that this is the hire that I wanted, which by the way, this was the hire I wanted from the beginning before six or so other coaches were hired or however many have been since then. Um, the fact that this is the penultimate hire and that the Seahawks got the guy that I was hoping that they would get from the beginning is I, I'm actually kind of stunned that it worked out this way. What do you view? Like, how do you see McDonald as a prospect based on what he's accomplished in Baltimore? How do you see fit with Seattle if you want to give it a grade, that's fine. As long as it's an A+, mm. whatever your thoughts are, please share. 
I, I mean, I give it an A. I, it was the guy I, I wanted for the Seahawks from the beginning, too. I am worried, and we'll get to the offense of, of what this means for Geno Smith. But I, I was on the corner throughout the ending part of the season that I wouldn't be so sure Pete Carroll is back for the, the main reason that he's a defensive coach and he had no answers for the two guys in his division year after year and game after game and the way the season ended and all the resources that they put into their defensive side of the ball. And, and most of those guys are still back. Like it just didn't make sense to keep doing the same thing. And Mike McDonald, whether it's a small sample size or not, is the Shanahan tree killer. And uh, I just think he's such a great example of what you want out of a modern defensive coach, what you want out of modern defenses, building around the strengths of his players and being so flexible. And you just have recent data points and examples of him being able to slow down these offenses in his own division and everything you hear about him from his players gives me some confidence. He's young. He's 36. He's now the youngest coach in the league uh, that his thinking on the other side of the ball and everything else he'll need to do to run the organization will also be very intelligent and uh, forward thinking. They're calling him the Shanna Handler. <laughs> Ooh, that's better. I saw that on Twitter. Just Shanahan Twitter. tree killer, just like it sounds like a tree killer. And that's yeah, it sounds like you're like chopping it down, you know, hacking at the branches. The McVay tree still up there because Matthew Stafford decided to go off in that game. Um, Matthew Stafford aside, I mean, the performances this Ravens defense put up against those offenses this year, the Niners, uh, the Dolphins, the Texans twice, the Lions, all bottom three EPA per play performances on the season. And... I, yeah, to, to your point, that that's the single biggest thing that I'm personally excited about as a Seahawks fan because I was tired of watching this defense just get sliced and diced. It felt like every year by these this exact type of offense, often using the same concepts year after year. Uh, uh, very frustrating. It felt like, you know, uh, just those overs off of play action every time were wide open. It was so infuriating and difficult to watch. Um, so there's that. And, and you know, I've talked a lot on the show about the things that the Ravens off do well the create does well did well the creativity up front with some of the simulated pressure the, the fact that you know going into this season uh greg i did my top 10 defenses and i did thankfully put the ravens in there mm. but you know i mentioned i was like a little nervous about the pass rush because uh usually when you have a top 10 defense in the modern nfl you have a stud edge rusher so that you can get pressure with four the ravens did not however you know odafe owe was Ascendant, but young. Uh, who knew what to make of Clowney, who was kind of their annual veteran signing. And yet, despite the fact that they didn't have a dominant rusher, they still had one of the best pass rushes in the NFL, and which is something Seattle sorely needs in terms of the, you know, the, the what they were doing up front, the creativity with the rotations on the back end. But but I think also above and beyond the X's and O's, they just played hard, mm-hmm. tackling hitting tackling i cannot stop <laughs> saying tackling after watching uh the, my off defense get bulldozed by naji harris in week 17 or whatever that was so so that stands out to me and then the other thing that i love and i know this is something that is near and dear to your heart as someone who looks at free agents every year and tries to rank them and thinks about their worth um you know you had young guys like kyle hamilton who we knew would be great and rose to another level under McDonald and, you know, is now arguably like the best safety in the NFL. But you also had so many players, veterans, 
having career years. Guys like mm -hmm. Clowney, Kyle Van Noy, Michael Pierce up front, some of the backup corners they brought. Yes, Matabike. Like it just felt like he got the most out of every single player on that side of the ball. And if that's not something you want out of a coach, I don't know what is. Right. I mean, first of all, he, he knows how to use premier talent, like a Kyle Hamilton. Their, their defense changed when they got Roquan Smith. You saw the best out of Roquan yeah. Smith. He's much better in Baltimore than he was in Chicago. Yeah. You saw the best out of Patrick Queen, who had a roller coaster career in Baltimore before McDonald arrived, and he's a free agent. Seattle's starting linebackers, Jordan Bricks and Bobby Wagner, are both free agents too. So that that's an interesting position yeah, and a guy to look at because I don't think they're going to franchise tag him. But it's a reminder, this Ravens defense wasn't that talented. It was talented enough. I'm not going to say that he, he was working with like yeah. a, a below average group, but they had a ton of injuries and they were starting Ronald Darby and Arthur Millette. Like if they were giving up 30 points a game, the first thing you would have said is like, well, they're starting Ronald Darby and Arthur Millette and these guys who are kind of cast offs elsewhere. And he made it work. And one thing Marlon Humphrey said, and I think you can see this in the film that really stuck with me is you hear linebackers, you know, when people talk about him, sometimes you'll like, well, he's such a smart linebacker. He knows what everyone's responsibility is on the defense. And Humphrey made the point that like with Mike McDonald, everyone knows what yeah. everyone's responsibility is on the entire defense. And you could see that in the back seven, especially just how connected they were and how they knew exactly what each other was going to do, even though it was a very complex defense that would mix up, as you mentioned, disguises and changing what they do week to week. So uh, you always want an offensive coach, I think, in a perfect world. But with this group of candidates, he still was, to me, as exciting as any offensive coach that, that was available. And uh, I'm just curious where they go on offense. You know, as a Gino uh, I lover, I, I am almost sad that Shane Waldron's not an option. He's already in Chicago. So we'll find out who they hire for yeah. the Yeah, it's interesting that they couldn't. I guess, you know, you had to get the head coach higher first before they could make a push to keep him if that's what they wanted to do. Some, One teams, more about the some teams were not treating their coaches well, and they would refuse to let their coaches interview. Seattle could have done that. Mm -hmm. I think John, John Schneider was probably thinking we're, we're going to have a little bit more of a fresh start. I have thoughts on that. I, Waldron, mm. but thoughts, but one more thought on the defense. You, you alluded to the complexity of this game. I would say this with Seattle, be patient. If it doesn't look great at first, because I remember Baltimore, I, the right when McDonald took over the game against Miami, where there were just busted coverages all over the place. Do you remember that? The one where yes. it, it was kind of like the, the rise of Tua after that game. And then Lamar also played his mind out of his mind. And it was a super high scoring game um, last year. You know, they were confused at first. It took a second for that defense to, to learn exactly uh, how to run McDonald's defense. So there could be a little bit of a, there's a lot of smart players in Seattle. I'm so excited to see what he does with Devin Witherspoon, who's like, it's going to be such a weapon for him. Um, not, he's different from Hamilton. He's, you know, obviously he's a corner, he's smaller, you know, whatever. But that, I think there'll be some sort of similar versatility with how he's used. So I'm excited about that. Very curious to see what they decide to do with Jamal Adams because there's some cap savings if they move on from him this year. And then to your point, I think the biggest decision is just going to be like, what do we do at linebacker? Uh, do we bring back Jordan Brooks, who I think is a good player, one who's been hurt at times? Do you consider Patrick Queen, who really blossomed, especially this year? I thought he was unbelievable with McDonald. 
decisions have to be made. That's a very important position in his defense. Um, and, you know, I think that and defensive tackle as well, which is also very important, are positions that Seattle will have to address to sort of carry out the vision. So patience might take a second. They need the players, but I'm excited. Offense I think, is the I think question. cut Adams, by the way. I, I do not expect him. Yeah. To. Leonard Williams it's, it's, is another free agent. They got a lot of guys to decide on. Yeah. Clowney's a free agent, by the way, if you want a homecoming. Mm-hmm. He's already got a mm-hmm. Seahawks jersey. Um, <laughs> yeah, so so the offense is the question. The offensive coordinator is the question. I, I think it's an interesting – if I was an offense coordinator, I the thing about – I'd be intrigued because of this is already a, a, a good offense. It was a good offense this year. It was defense that was the problem. I think there's questions on the offensive line, but the skill players are undeniably talented. I think Geno is also a very um, – offensive coordinator friendly quarterback like you don't have to bring lots of bells and whistles and come up with you don't have to baby him let's put it that way like you know he he is a traditional pocket passer who can make all of the throws you know I'm high on him as far as who that offensive coordinator is I I don't really know I I think there might be a lateral move which we've seen a lot of with all the turnover at head coach in the cards. There might be someone in Baltimore. Mike Kafka interviewed uh, as the head coach. Maybe he'd be interested in a lateral move. I mm. think if I was an offensive coordinator looking to have a better year so that I could take that leap at, at to a head coaching job, I do think it's appealing that way. You can tell me if I'm being a homer. Um, is there? You're a longtime Geno apologist, so maybe you're more of a homer in that sense, uh, in that he is your forever home. What would you like for him? <laughs> well, I'm I'm not apologizing for anything other than yes, uh, I'm I'm just angry that people are like, oh, his contract gets guaranteed twelve million dollars on February sixteenth. There's no decision to make Stop. with Geno Smith. Stop Give me it. a break. Um, his, his salary, and I, I think they'd be smart to look in the draft, obviously, to uh, possibly develop someone behind Geno. Uh, so sure. that makes sense. There's not like a lot of big names out there. Like they got plucked up pretty quick on the offensive side, or they stayed home like Bobby Slowick and Ben Johnson. You know, you see the Patriots are still looking for an offensive coordinator. The Saints are still looking for an offensive coordinator. Washington, as we're taping, like doesn't have any coach. Uh, There's going to be uh, competition. No one's dipped into the college ranks and like gotten really creative. I don't have like great ideas that the Texans kept their whole staff like Maybe it, it's an assistant off the Detroit staff. Uh, people love a little Antoine Randall L, but like, am I going to have a hot take of like how Antoine Randall L is going to run an offense yeah. in 2024? I have no idea. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, like, I, I know I was kind of iffy on Waldron. I do think he did a good job. Obviously, a lot of creativity with how they used personnel groupings and formations, the way he used tight ends. Um, there just was like eight weeks this season where they stopped throwing over the middle of the field and I'm still bitter and confused about it. So uh, I I would like to uh, resume using Gino's really good throwing there. I don't know. I'm sure some of that was Gino as well, but you know, but um, yeah, I I, I think that for McDonald, it's the, the most important thing is finding someone who he can just completely trust to handle that side of the ball. I go back to when Sean McVay was hired in LA and he, he brought in Wade Phillips and said, you do the defense. It's your thing. Hands off. I'm, I'm hands off. And I think for a young coach who comes from one side of the ball coordinator, not even that long, 
it's probably the best way to do it is to delegate. Um, it's just a matter of finding them, um, which I guess brings us to the next piece of coaching news I want to talk about. And you, you alluded to this, which is Bobby Slowick, who was that guy for D'Amico Ryan's saying in Houston, I'm always a little bit reluctant to discuss these decisions, him and Johnson, um, from the vantage point of these loyal guys, they just really wanted to stay because we don't know like if they actually had the opportunities or the strength of those opportunities, or I don't necessarily think these decisions mean one thing or the other. Uh, and that's not me lashing out because of the report that Ben Johnson wants to win a Super Bowl. But uh, I, we can look at it from the standpoint of Houston, which is, this is incredibly great news. Yes. I, I think you, you mentioned Gerard Johnson to the quarterbacks coach and having a coordinator. And yeah, it's look, you didn't have a, a head coaching offer. We, we, we would have known if he did, um, but he gets a raise. He had a nice season. It's his first time in the, in the big chair in terms of running entire offense. I think there's things he probably learned from this season, certainly in the running game that he's going to want to improve. So maybe he wasn't quite ready for the role, but that's huge to me, you know, and we'll, we'll get to the Texans at large later, but this is such an opportunity. It's one thing to have like a, a quarterback on a rookie contract. It's another one to have like a top eight quarterback in the second year of his career. Yeah. <laughs> like this is this. And you already set it up with some nice young pieces at premium positions around them and a ton of cap space. Like this is amazing. And the continuity for that team is exciting. How did you feel about the job he did generally? Cause I know I just said, it's great. He did great. This is huge for Houston, but you know, I, I, I think it's kind of worth mentioning what he did well and maybe where they could improve. I, I think where they can improve is pretty obvious. This continued to be a very bad run game. Um, a lot of that I terrible. think had to do with yeah, terrible 30th in DVOA, 10th in passing DVOA, which again is it's incredible that CJ Stroud uh, and the offense was as good as they were despite having zero run game support. And despite the fact that, and, and maybe this is also, to an area where he could improve, Slowick really stuck to the run a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. Sometimes maybe I thought a little bit too much on early downs, and I think Stroud, you know, we can point to that and say, well, the under center play action game works so well. It's probably in part because of their commitment to the run. I, I think it's more personally because CJ Stroud was really good uh, <laughs> <laughs> throwing on third down and under pressure at times. Uh, that is, however, something that they need to get better at you know it, it, no matter how you slice it um so i feel like for slowick that's you know job number one is figuring out what personnel do we need to fix because it, it's going to be this you know wide zone running game that marries well with the play action passing attack it's exactly what we thought it would be when he was hired i think the only thing that i i didn't know greg was whether or not cj stroud would take to it especially the under center stuff and he took to it obviously extremely well Right. I mean, let's not get it twisted. C.J. Stroud is is making Bobby Slowick and, and to a lesser extent, D'Amico Ryan's more money and, and more famous. D'Amico Ryan's is great, too, but I don't think he's coach of the year if if he, they don't end up with, with Stroud. I remember that like it was midseason before Stroud had really taken off. And there was this conversation of like, well, what if you, you know, flipped Bryce Young and and C.J. Stroud spots, then like Bryce would look a lot better. It was like he'd look better, but more to the point, everyone would look better in Carolina. It wouldn't it's not like they would have suddenly won yeah. 10 games. But I, I think Stroud is that special. But more importantly, Slowick's 
system, which he showed he could run capably. And Nico Collins looked better than than he had ever looked. Yeah. And Tank Dell certainly was was maximized in a way that I don't think anyone could have expected. And they got the tight ends working later in the season. Like the system all made sense to me. And their focus on running on early downs was frustrating, especially uh, in that playoff game. And it doesn't really make sense to me with the offensive line talent they yeah. have relatively I think it was a, a pretty good offensive line I know they had injuries uh, but that's first year coordinator stuff and and you can only hope like look he takes a second year leap like uh, like Matt Ryan in Atlanta under Shanahan back in the day yeah I you know I, I think I think he will I think you know the, the they'll probably I suspect well there, there's we're actually going to talk about the time Texans because they're one of the eliminated teams. So I don't want to jump the gun too much. Right tackle is something that they could invest in. Offensive line generally, you know, you have a superstar left tackle and and some good players in the interior, but that's an area where they could get better. Um, yeah, I'm very excited to see year two kind of how they build on what we they, they're just already so ahead of schedule. And again, y- you mentioned this, it's not just Stroud, the skill players, I think. Like, I don't I'll say this, I don't think they need a number one wide receiver. I think Nico Collins is one. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm like a, yeah. I, I was so impressed by him this season. To me, he wasn't just a creation of Stroud and Slowick, although he was obviously helped by both. But you saw things out of him in terms of uh, creating with the ball in his hands, some of the adjustments he made, tracking those deep balls. I, I think he is like your prototypical x i think they'll have to pay him soon and greg i think they should because i'm like a huge fan of his i I am too because there's just not many guys that can be that physical and athletic at the at the catch point making those t higgins type catches but also just run over people as a great yak guy i expect they will use that cap space to pay him this year um and get ahead of it because it's one thing with free agency, people get so excited about free agency. It's like, oh, they have all this cash. It's way harder to find players to spend the money on uh, than it is yeah. to create the space. And they've created the space, and now they found one in Nico Collins. And yeah, I bet he'll get paid this off season. It's so true. I, I was, I remember. I don't know if you and I talked about that or me and Field, but when the Bears traded for Montez Sweat and then paid him, you know, there was mixed reaction to that. I've always, I've been a fan of his. For a while, he made my all underrated team. I did a pod with um, Ben Solak where we picked underrated players. But, you know, the thinking, the reason why I liked it, not just because I was a fan of Montez Sweat, but the likelihood that they would find a star edge rusher in free agency, it, it's even with all the money, they had a ton of money. It's, it's, it's not as easy as it seems. So, Nico Collins, they should try to keep him. I think just bolstering the offensive line, but good for Houston. Great for slow. Great for Stroud to just to have that continuity to, um, you know, is so important. I mean, yeah, uh, the Texans are going to definitely going to be everybody's like way too hype team next year. I feel like the off season, whenever we're all asked, like who's the dark horse team that could make it to the Super Bowl, I feel like Houston's going to be the top of everybody's list. This is how you know you've been doing it too long. Is I mean, I'm with you. Like, the second the regular season ends, I already start thinking of, like, how all those overcooked storylines are going to be. Like, which ones I'll be especially sick of. You start, like, rooting for Super Bowl results based on, like, which narrative you want to yeah. talk about the least for six months. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. A team that – so it's funny because when I was asked that for the season, the two teams that I named – I can't remember what show 
I was on were Green Bay and Pittsburgh. Both of them made it to the playoffs. Um, Good job, especially Green Bay. Good job. Yeah, Pittsburgh, I, 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 that was just, I don't think I was right about a lot there. I think I just kind of stumbled into it. And then the Mike Tomlin dark magic kicked in. Um, but they, they did, there is some news coming out of Pittsburgh. This is another thing I wanted to talk about. Arthur Smith is their offensive coordinator. Another divisive announcement, at least. That's the impression I got. Um, I understand why coming off of this season and that offense in Atlanta regressing so much underneath him in ways that transcended fantasy football, although obviously that was a funny um, sort of angle on all of it with Smith's uh, (laughs) steadfast refusal to use all of the uh, highly drafted skill players in Atlanta. Uh, But, you know, it's probably worth taking a minute to acknowledge why Arthur Smith was the head coach of the Falcons, why people thought that offense would be good, which is that prior to this year, his offenses were really good uh, in both Tennessee and Atlanta where, of course, even you know the year before, they had a question mark at quarterback. But despite that, the run game was super dynamic. He got a lot out of um, skill players who weren't highly drafted, like Cordero Patterson uh, that year. Very impressively so. Uh, Johnny Smith this year. Um, I think for Pittsburgh, my first reaction was, oh, that makes sense. Because Mm -hmm. we saw in the second half of the season, this team sort of develop an identity offensively after they fired Matt Canada, um, which was run first, run well, by the way, very efficient running the ball, uh, and put a lot of tight ends on the field. Uh, When the Steelers had multiple tight ends on the field, whether it was 12 or 13 personnel, they were one of the most efficient offenses in football doing so Arthur Smith as I alluded to loves running the ball loves using tight ends so that pairing Greg philosophically makes sense and suggests to me while there you know he is more of the wide zone run game we'll see what how that translates or whether he sort of goes along with what they've been doing um that part makes sense to me I think where I understand however apprehension is there is a massive question mark at quarterback in Pittsburgh and I think the fact that, you know, it was such a disaster in Atlanta this year. Now, again, that's not all Arthur Smith's fault. But if you're a fan of that team and you realize they need to figure out quarterback and then they need to optimize said quarterback, I do understand a little bit of apprehension bringing in a guy who's been so unsuccessful with that position. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he was dealt and he created the losing hand in Atlanta at, at quarterback. But I think you could look at it also like he got the best years out of Ryan Tannehill or, or certainly was was part yeah. of those years. Um, and for what it's worth, got the best out of Mariota that we saw. Like the the, the one time people really were in on, on Mariota as, OK, this guy might be the guy uh, was with him, too. And so I think it did make a lot of sense. They were a different team after they you know, inserted Broderick Jones into the lineup and they just became a mashing unit up front. And I love that. I've, I've read reporting in Pittsburgh. It's not official that they are going to keep their O-line coach. Uh, I think his name is Pat Meyer, who, who did a good job. And there was some thought, ooh, would Munchak maybe return uh, Arthur Smith's old buddy? That would be fun. Uh, but I don't think that's going to happen. But he, more than anything, he 
I just didn't get the sense that he enjoyed being a head coach that much and that maybe offensive coordinator, and maybe he would be better a second time around, but maybe offensive coordinator is a way for him to not let what he did well in Atlanta not get stale. Because both him and Sirianni, I think about them Mm -hmm. as a twosome, that everything was working with their running game in 2022, and they just ran it back, and it just... It never worked the same way in 2023, and they just didn't have like another move to go to because it kind of made no sense to me that they couldn't run the ball in Atlanta. It was the same guys up front, and I think a lot of it was just defenses find answers for you, and you always have to be adapting. You always have to be evolving, and you would think Arthur Smith is capable of doing that, but maybe it's a little easier to be capable of doing that when you're only focused on the offense because, man, more more than any coach in in recent memory, just – when he was on that podium or just the whole thing, he just seemed so so tight. He just seemed like he was gripping that steering wheel, like so hard that maybe that gets in the way of, of getting creative schematically and coming up with the best ideas on a week to week basis. Cause you have so much else to worry about that. He doesn't have to worry about when Mike Tomlin's running the show. You mentioned Ryan Tannehill. He's a free agent. There's going to be a lot of smoke because I, feel like Pittsburgh, you know, they're, they're not picking high enough to grab one of the top quarterbacks in the draft, obviously. I don't think that they're going to – I could be wrong, but they don't strike me as a team that will take a big swing, like the Kirk Cousins-level swing, which is probably going to be bigger than people anticipate. But they do strike me as a team that will bring in a veteran, whether that's, you know, Tannehill or maybe the Russell Wilson tra- – I, I just – and I think – you know, Arthur Smith is he's the offensive coordinator now, so it's not like he's calling the shot, you know, or, or and probably has some limited influence about over what they decide to do. But and this is again not to say they should go after Tannehill, who I thought was quite bad this year, frankly. Um, I do think you want a quarterback with his offense who does what Tannehill did well, which is under center, play action, deep shots over the middle of the field, which also dovetails with what Pittsburgh is do, is mm-hmm. situated to do well with their their tight ends, the offensive line, the run game we talked about. So I think whatever they do at quarterback, that's kind of the mold that I see working well with the both the coordinator now and the personnel. It's just messy because there, there's actually a lot of those mid-level quarterbacks that are going to be available on the market this year. Jacoby Brissett, you know, is our, our yearly one that we just like love to think about, but they, they say they want to bring back Mason Rudolph and he was their best quarterback last year and they're not going to cut Kenny Pickett. So he's still there. So it's like, then you bring in a Jacoby Brissett. It's just, it's a little confusing to me. I, I would almost, if I were them, I would almost rather go back to the draft again. And I don't, that says a lot about Kenny Pickett, but I think that's fine. You just keep taking swings. Yeah. I had hoped, Pickett would take a leap. I thought he would, frankly, and he didn't. And uh, to the organization's credit, they recognize that. I, 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 if I was a Steelers fan, I said I would be encouraged by the fact that they rolled with Rudolph into the playoffs and didn't try to force Pickett back into the lineup. That suggests to me, at least, there's some willingness to invite competition at the position. Um, one more that I want to get into. There's so many, and. We could talk about all, I mean, like Ken Dorsey going to Cleveland, speaking of Brissett, Joe Brady staying in Buffalo. That's big too. Um, well, there's actually two things I want to talk about. One more though of the hires that I, that, and this actually goes into the, the last thing, which is about Belichick and Vrabel. Um, Atlanta is now Rams East, literally Rams East. We got mm-hmm. 
Raheem Morris as the head coach. He brings in Zach Robinson uh, who and, and Jimmy Lake, who uh, I had completely forgotten was working for the Rams after um, being let go as Washington's head coach. So he's going to run the defense over there now. Um, I think what interests me about this, I'm, I'm ex- first of all, I want to say um, I'm excited for Raheem Morris who – if you listen to this podcast, that means you consume a lot of NFL media and you've probably heard a million times widely respected and loved around the league, <laughs> but it's true. Have you ever met someone who doesn't player personnel, executive coach who doesn't love this guy? He is very widely liked. Um, I think I mentioned when Pete Carroll was let go, the fact that the Rams defense outperformed Seattle despite literally mm-hmm. having you know very few people that NFL fans have heard of outside of Aaron Donald I think is a huge testament to Morris when he was a head coach he was very young he had a messy quarterback situation in Tampa and I guess that brings me to what I was going to say which is what I find interesting about Atlanta which is this is another team that has to figure out things at quarterback they're picking eighth overall um, which is going to be probably behind the big three in this draft but we'll see um, they have been linked to Justin Fields as a potential trade partner. Do you think that this ramification of the team hints at a direction that they might go in at quarterback? Or do you think it's going to come down to just who's the best guy available for them? What are your thoughts? It's tough to guess. You know, Zach Robinson is their coordinator. I, I suspect Raheem Morris got that job based on his years in Atlanta. He was there a long time. He was, he was there on the offensive side for that 2016 team under Kyle Shanahan. It's just crazy yeah. how, how many people uh, were on that staff and were always under Shanahan. And then he was on the defensive side and Arthur Blank had a, had a close relationship with him and he did a good job. I thought as an interim coach, it wasn't that long ago uh, yeah. in Atlanta, but I, I got to think it helped a lot that he had a very close relationship with Zach Robinson, which felt who felt to me like kind of the bell of the ball in terms of guys who hadn't got a chance to run his own offense and was going to get a job without a doubt in this cycle. And I think the Patriots would have wanted him and the you know, Saints, all sorts of different teams wanted Zach Robinson and Raheem and him are, are reportedly really close and, and he's going to be the guy and you're excited about that. And I, I look to try to find like, what's Zach Robinson going to be about there. There's some thought like, look, he, I think he like like a lot of play callers would love an athletic quarterback that 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 it starts there that you want as many uh, tangibles uh, as many like special characteristics as you can have. It's I I don't think it's a thing that Kyle Shanahan's tree is just going to be looking for Kirk Cousins, Brock Purdy. Like we're in a different era, and so that does yeah. make you think about Jaden Daniels. It makes you think about Justin Fields as well. But at the eight spot. You know, they, they passed on Justin Fields. If I'm not wrong, they were at the eight spot. Am I, am I right there? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's where was a while. Um, like, Dijon was taken. Oh, no, no, Justin Fields, pardon me. Justin Fields draft was Kyle Pitts at four. Kyle Pitts. Okay, so Kyle Pitts. Not, they <laughs> or Drake London. I don't, there's been so many skill players right. taken in the top 10 by Atlanta. It's crazy. But they, they passed on him then, and it doesn't have to be a long-term solution like day one necessarily for Atlanta. Yeah. I, I think Falcons fans have to be excited because of what you said. And I, I think it's worth remembering Raheem Morris was 33 years old when, when yeah. he was hired. And that was a messy situation before, stayed messy afterwards. It just, 
Uh, and he also had a 10 win season. People kind of forget that that 10 in between win, the two uh, seasons. Season. Yeah, they went 10 and yes. six. That was when the NFC South was like a powerhouse. He yeah, was like, that was he was 33. It makes a lot of sense that like since then he's he's worked under Shanahan again. He was with him in Washington under Sean McVay. And, and that's who you want to be working for, I think. I like that he's worked on both sides of the ball. It seems like a, a good attribute to have in a head coach. Um, I think, you know, with the Rams, too, both these guys, Zach Robinson, it, it, how many more friends of McVay are left? They're, they're, run, they're running out of guys. It's got to be diminishing point. returns at some point. I, I mean, I give credit to the Rams. They were pumping up these guys of, to get jobs. I was like, it's going to hurt you at some point. What yeah. is happening? You know, this is a little tangential because he's sort of part, he is part of the tree. I was thinking about what Arthur Smith back to his offenses in Tennessee as I was considering, you know, thinking about the Pittsburgh Steelers hiring him. And then I remembered when Mike, Matt LaFleur, pardon me, was hired by Green Bay. I was super sus. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, of the Tennessee oh, year, right? That Tennessee offense was bad. And I remember, I don't, thankfully, I wasn't, I, I've learned not to give really strong judgments. I guess I just give a really positive judgment about Mike McDonald. But I haven't been very negative on coaching hires because I really feel like you have no idea, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like I like when Sirianni and Campbell gave the pressers, I was like, I don't know, maybe we'll see. And then, you know, it obviously haven't been successful. Anyways, well, which is to say when Matt LaFleur was hired, I remember being like, this seems like bad because of how that offense was. And then he since then, he's only been like one of the best coaches in the entire NFL. So that said, uh, with Morris, you know, I, I think and. and and Robinson and what they took from the Rams and how that might translate to quarterback. Certainly mobility will be appealing, but you know, with the Rams, you, you saw them build two very distinct offenses around two types of quarterbacks. He saw firsthand, both these guys, Sean McVay evolve that offense, that run game over the years. So I'm with you. I don't think this is just a, Oh, we want our Kirk cousins and we're going to run the, you know, under center wide zone offense and everything's going to look the same. I, I think you have to be kind of open to the idea that they will pursue the quarterback and then build around them. And they certainly have a great group of players to do so. Even if Arthur Smith didn't find the optimal use for them. All right. The the thing I want to wrap with is, is flowing from that Atlanta question, which is, um, it seemed like Bill Belichick had that job in hand. It was lost. Uh, it seems now there's at the moment of taping this Washington's job is still open. So we'll see what happens. I don't believe I've heard Vrabel, Mike Vrabel, speak of Tennessee or Belichick linked to that job. Although again, maybe we'll see what happens. Are you surprised that both of these coaches might not get hired this cycle. I know it sounds easier to say now, but I'm more surprised that, that Vrabel's not getting yeah. hired in this cycle. I heard the Atlanta stuff early. It, it was, you got to wonder where it was coming from. I, I think it was coming from both sides, but they reportedly did, you know, we, we reported at NFL Network, like they were doing work on Belichick halfway through the season. I, I think I think it was in Arthur Blank's mind, just reading the reporting and reading the tea leaves, that like this was his his plan A, and something changed along the way. 
once they started taking these 14 head coaching interviews and eight second interviews, like once they got past the second interview yeah. for Belichick, I was like, oh, they're, they're not going to hire him. Because I just think if you're hiring Bill Belichick, you had those two meetings. This is the vision you're going with. You're going with it. And, it, and you decided, no, I'm going to I'm going to look around at, at what else is out there. It's only guesswork. But it's really hard to imagine, and, and I've listened to the reporting at, at people who were around Belichick too um, for so long, like Tom Curran in Boston. It's like it would be shocking if Bill Belichick went into any situation at this point in his career, especially this year, and and didn't want full control. That he was gonna be in an org chart reporting to Rich McKay, who's actually not in the org chart anymore. So maybe that wasn't an issue, or that he was gonna work with. Terry Fontenot, who's the GM there. If Bill Belichick was coming, I think half that building was not going to be there anymore. And that that part of the building might have been talking to Arthur Blank. And Arthur Blank might have seen Belichick not get any interest elsewhere. Who knows? Or, or look at the personnel decisions. Because I think it is a lot to take on um, Bill Belichick. If you just could get him as, like, defensive play caller. I mean, I'd love to see him as a coordinator on one of these teams. That would be fun. But or if you could get him as a head coach, but without all the power in the world, like that makes more sense. But it doesn't shock me that these owners uh, passed on him knowing all that. And who knows, maybe a year from the game in TV, he might be refreshed, might have a different outlook on it. And that wouldn't surprise me if he did get a job next year. I'm I'm more surprised, actually, that Vrabel uh, got so few uh, bites because it just didn't seem like he was close to getting any one of these jobs. And it was just a few yeah. years ago. I think we were rightly saying, wow, this is one of the best five or six coaches in the league. Coach of the year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that the, I hear you on the roster control thing. Obviously there are like Harbaugh seems to have gotten something like the Godfather deal. Maybe well, I actually don't know the specifics of that, but um, I don't think it's like a holistic. Nobody's getting this anymore necessarily. And I don't think it's even that like, entirely we just don't want him to bring you know the suicide squad with him to atlanta that's what i've started calling patricia judge and all those guys um i think it the way i view it and i do think probably this applies to both him and vrabel is it was kind of like musical chairs and then more chairs were already occupied than we thought because pat's already had mayo which was the vrabel spot I, you know, we all, I, I mean, I assumed like, oh, of course, I'll just bring back Mike Rabel. Nope. They, they already had Mayo in mind. They had him in mind apparently for so long that it was written into his contract. And I have no mm-hmm. idea how nobody knew that, but whatever. Um, with the Raiders, Pierce was in there. He had already done well. You know, that sort of seems like it was kind of a foregone conclusion. Chargers and Harbaugh, another thing that felt like it was already done before any of this even began, frankly. And we were hearing whispers about that forever. And then, you know, he was such an appealing candidate, whatnot. And then you're looking at a lot of teams. I'll mention Tennessee. Washington would fit into this category. I think Atlanta fits into this category. And Carolina, where, and as we've been discussing, putting the quarterback in a position to succeed is so important, arguably the most important thing. I think it's probably why Brian Callahan is the head coach of the Tennessee Titans right now. And there is nothing that Bill Belichick has failed at more recently and loudly than that. I also think there might be some hesitation with Raypole in that. I maybe you know, I mean, he's really, really good. And I think that's probably, it's probably a bit of an oversimplification, 
And as we've been talking about, um, Raheem isn't an offensive guy, you know, it could be that. But however, it feels like when you look at that hire and Carolina hire and the Tennessee hire, that's the direction that they had to go in. So I, I kind of think it, I'm, I'm just trying to put myself in the mind of, you know, the billionaire owner and I've just thrown my drink at a fan and I'm really upset and I'm thinking mm. about how bad we were this year. And I'm like, we just got to fix this quarterback thing, man. And I think I would look at them, these two guys, and I, I would be a little bit dubious about whether they were the right man for that specific task. I agree. I think it it takes a certain kind of owner to, to be strong enough to work with Belichick to sort of not get steamrolled by Belichick and feel confident enough uh, in him or herself to like be equal partners in that relationship. And who knows what Belichick wanted either. Like he, he famously, you know, got out of uh, New York because he didn't want to work for the owner after after it changed ownership from from Leon Hess to Woody Johnson. So look, like half these books behind me are about Bill Belichick. I love Bill Belichick. I want him to have like the post Patriots Tom Brady bump. I I think it's much less likely, um, but it could work in like a certain situation. And, and maybe those like that circumstance wasn't there for him this year. But I, I think it might have to take a little bit of humbling because does he have new fresh ideas? Maybe a year away from the game, like we'll have it on, on how to win yeah. in 2024 offensively, defensively. I know he does in terms of game plans, but in terms of developing your staff and things like that, holistically, it's different. And then if you're David Tepper and you're across the, you know, the desk from like handsome young man, Dave Canales, it's like, who do you go with this, this guy who's been around forever or this, this young buck? It's like, uh, you might've just been charmed by his smile. I don't know. Well, you got your five foot 10 quarterback who's just had the worst rookie season ever. And you forget Dave Canales's looks. He, he literally, he can be like, Hey, I worked with, I, I just turned around the career of one short guy and I worked for years with the other one and saw his best you know, the best years of his career in Seattle. Mm. He's Russell Wilson's quarterback's coach. That one, the more I think about it, the more obvious it was all along. I, I like it. It just makes too much sense. Um, I, I, I like that hire too, by the way. Um, okay. We'll see. I, I predict by week six. Well, that's actually not true because Dallas will probably win in the regular season, but we are going to start hearing. We're gonna, There's going to be a first take Chiron that says – Bill Belichick coming for Mike McCarthy's job by mm. certainly the playoffs. So we'll see. All right, let's take a quick break. Come back and, and speaking of the playoffs, talk about the teams that were eliminated. Why should you bet with Caesar Sportsbook? Two words, Caesar's rewards. Every bet brings you closer to the types of benefits only Caesars can offer. Hotel stays, VIP experiences, sports and concert tickets, and more. It's not just a nap. It's an empire. 21 and older must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, or Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Utah, and other states where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Ohio, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537. For Maryland, visit MDGamblingHelp. 
gamblinghelp.org. West Virginia, visit 1800gambler.net. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, D.C., Nevada, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, if you or a loved one is experiencing problems with gambling, please call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org for 24-7 support. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. All right, we are back, and we're going to run through the final six, the last six out. So the teams that were eliminated in the divisional round, championship weekend, and we're each, as I said, going to come up with something that they need to do to fix, to get better at, however you want to talk about it, um, to avoid this fate next year. Uh, you know, some of these teams have big decisions to make in free agency. So you go in that direction or you go in the direction of fixing something that was broken. Uh, let's start with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. There are a few things that I think they need to get better at. I'm operating under the assumption that they're bringing back Baker Mayfield, Mike Evans, and Antoine Winfield Jr. Hmm. I would be surprised if I, I just did. I, I, Greg does a fantastic list of free agents every year. And I know that all, you know, all three of those guys, I imagine rank pretty highly on your list, but they're probably, I, I, I would be surprised if they don't come back, Greg. I, I mean, it's especially, well, no, I think all three of them will come back. I hear you, but man, it's a lot of money. Evans might be the hardest yeah. to keep. I think Mayfield is maybe the most likely of the three to go yeah. just just if another team and I'm not sure who that team really would be but stepped up in a big way he he, he is a tricky contract I know people are throwing out oh give him the Geno Smith contract I don't know if I would quite give him the Geno Smith contract yeah, losing canals is gonna hurt they have not hired a replacement as of this taping so we'll see what direction they go in um I'm gonna go with the offense though I think you, there, there's some issues on defense uh, they got to fix this run game. I am so sick of watching. It's been now a few years. It's weird. The, despite having what was an incredibly dynamic passing attack with Tom Brady and was actually good this year as well with Baker Mayfield and the, the wide receivers, they still can't run the ball for crap. <laughs> See, 28th in rush DVOA, average passing. Um I dug into the numbers a little bit to try to figure out how much to put on the run blocking versus Rashad White, who was their lead back. Unfortunately, the answer is both. Uh, the run blocking was sus. Pass protection was much better. And then White, uh, you know, I'd like to look at um, the next gen stat, rushing yards over expectation, which tries to isolate what the back is responsible for. So he ranked very poorly in that as well. It's fantastic receiving back, though, and a very important part of their pass game. Um, I, it feels like every year it's a poor marriage of the players they have and then the concepts that they run. I don't know what it would take or how to prioritize fixing it. This is the job of the new offensive coordinator. But consistently, as much as I like Canales, you saw this a bit with him. You saw it before with Leftwich. 
this offense is always behind the eight ball because they run on early downs and they're really, really bad at it. Yeah, your your buddy, John Ledyard, I I heard him complaining at various points of the season, kind of the the, the play sequencing in in the – that Canales had, which was a lot of just early down runs and, and getting into those long yardage situations. It doesn't make sense. Their offensive line really overachieved. And so that coordinator hire is massive for them. It is a, it's a little worrisome that you had such a overachieving year. Like Luke Gadecki, who people thought was maybe kind of a bust, like played really well. They moved Tristan Wirfs to the left side. That worked out. Like overall, yeah. they were, I, I think, a, a positive protecting Baker Mayfield, but not so much uh, in the run game. So that's massive. And yeah, I'm not quite as confident as you as that Evans will be back just because mm. uh, we'll see. I just think you, Winfield has to be back. So that it's always a dance when you have like two yeah. very obvious franchise tag guys. You got to get one signed long term before the tag deadline hits. And, and maybe that they get that done. And then you tag Evans, I guess, would be the way to do that. What do you have for the Bucks? Yeah, I, uh, I'm going to go on the defensive side, just getting like an actual pure pass rush like I, I know Kalijah Kansi and Veda are, are, are great inside but they just had nothing going on on the outside yeah yeah Diaby had you know other than just like a really fun name to say had moments but a lot of it was like cleanup sacks they weren't winning quickly I don't know if Shaq Barrett is going to be there Todd Bowles is great at creating pressure uh, but he sort of lost that natural four-man pass rush that they had back when they were uh, winning Super Bowl. So that to me is the thing that stands out the most. It's a good one because it was definitely part of their undoing. It was a concern I had going into their final playoff game. You know, I thought, okay, they can, they can get pressure, no doubt, um, Jared Goff. But, they, you know, you, to beat the Lions, you have to have a four-man rush. And this team didn't have a four-man rush the entire season till the very end. Um, yeah, I, when I did, I did a X-Factors pod before the season, which was like a player who needs to be good or bad or something, you know, for this team to succeed. And I think it was this year I did Joe Tryanchienka because he was their um, first round draft pick from a few years ago. And he just, it just didn't happen. It just you never happened with him. And then as you mentioned, a, a lot of the time, or at least like a rotational yeah. sort of player. Yeah. So, you know, the interior of the past rush is fantastic. Can't see looked fantastic, but they, they absolutely need, to address that because I don't think a lot of the struggles at times in past defense, I, I would not pin on the secondary altogether. So yeah, that's a good one. Um, interesting decisions to be made. Very, you know, very overperforming team. I was really impressed by last year, but there, there's some tough choices with the cap. Uh, the Packers, I'm sure we have the same, same sort of same, certainly same side of the ball. They have to find a defensive coordinator who can, this is mine, maximize the talent they have. Now, there are personnel issues. Uh, Safety jumps out that they need to address. Darnell Savage is a free agent. I have to think they might move on. Uh, Did not. Although, you know, he had had a couple moments in the playoffs. But um, the talent is what it is. And it might be in the Super Bowl if he caught that birdie pass at the beginning i swear like the nfc these teams have to be like the rams the packers they have to be like man could have we have made the super bowl we could 100 percent. sorry well <laughs> to that end i know love through the pick at the end i have no the offense it's fine 
it's all about the defense and it is it, the coaching thing though, Greg, to me, it's not just like, Oh, Joe Barry ran passive coverages and we need a defensive coordinator who blitzes more and is, you know, more aggressive. Like we need our Flores. I don't think it's that simple. I don't think it's just about scheme with this defense watching them. So many issues in like fundamentals, tackling busted coverages. <laughs> so setting aside the scheme that whoever they bring in to run this defense needs to get more out of the players on the roster. They need to be better coached and it needs to start earlier because with Barry, they were just so bad until the very, very end when it was too late and actually did prove to be too late with him. So I think that this defensive coordinator hire will probably be the single biggest term determinant of whether this team gets past where they got, last year and ends up being a true threat yeah and i totally echo what you said about like trying to guess which coaching hires are going to work and, and which one aren't it's a little easier with coordinators that have experience but th this to me is a spot you could make your name because there's such good players here there's talent to work with there's a potential super bowl you know team here i think with the way that jordan love was playing if yeah. you can get it turned around and i'm not sure who it's going to be like i know they were introduced interested in Denard Wilson from the Ravens, but now he's probably, he's the most likely guy to get elevated. Uh, Ajiro Evero is a guy I think the Rams and the Packers would really like, but the Panthers, we haven't heard officially, but they haven't been letting him get out. And it sounds like he might just end up staying there if they can convince him to as the coordinator, cause he's under, under contract. So Brandon Staley's another guy, like it, it's just going to be comedy wherever he goes. But you mentioned like, getting more out of these guys. There also is a lot of decisions to make on those guys. So I guess that's what I would say too, is they're going to have to decide like who stays, who goes, like how much of a veteran group do we want to be? Some that come to mind on their defense, Preston Smith, Devondre Campbell, Jair Alexander, Kenny Clark. I mean, I, I assume Kenny Clark is staying, but when you look at the top paid players on their team, that's that's them. They're all defensive players, except for Bakhtiari, who I do not expect will be back with them next year. So you, you're just spending so much money. I can't imagine all of those guys are coming back. And so um, how the new coordinator sees different players fitting in. Alexander is a guy I could see getting traded. I could actually see having like some value around the league. Anything could happen on Jair Alexander. I don't know. <laughs> Mike Zimmer, uh, by the way, is trying to get back into the NFL. Give me Mike Zimmer go. on the Packers. He was out at the Polynesian Bowl on NFL Network and is wearing the Hawaiian suit, and he's politicking for jobs. Give me some Zimmer Bring him in 2024. Back. Bring back Zim. Um, okay, what do you got for the Texans? Um, my number one thing is to make a push now in whatever that means. And, and mm. I just mean in free agency, uh, essentially, but it could be trades. It could be the draft. They already obviously used their draft pick to, to get Will Anderson because of what I said before about this is an incredible opportunity that you have CJ Stroud at this level. You have premium positions like cornerback with, with Stingley and, and the tackle with Tunsil and their edge rushers. I, I know Grenard's a free agent, but this is a time to push. You have all this cap space. They've, they've done actually a good job. We, we probably were very tough on Nick Casario for a few years, but this is the best possible version of how this rebuild was gonna go. And to me, like they are maybe up there as like one of the number one teams. Like mm, if Chris Jones actually gets to free agency, like 
it, Saquon Barkley, like I know it seems crazy to pay running backs, but like that doesn't seem as crazy. Maybe he's not a fit in that scheme. I, I don't know, but just like they can push. They only have six players on their entire roster that make more than $3 million next mm. year. It's time to just like go and, and take a swing. I love that. Uh, I love the idea of immediately trying to maximize Stroud's rookie contract because I think teams tend to wait too long to do that. Um, I think they can be targeted about it. I think, you know, we talked about the offensive line. That's one thing that jumps out. I would say the secondary, um, well, Grenard's a free agent, right? Jonathan Grenard's a free agent. He, he is. Okay. Edge so is gotta, probably one of the few positions where there's a lot of decent free agents, but he's going to get paid by someone. He will sure. get paid a lot. Um, you know, I talked about the run game being a problem. The other biggest problem was pass defense, the secondary, which uh, ended up, ranking 29th in EPA per play versus the pass, 30th in success rate, 27th in uh, opposing QBR, despite the fact that the pass rush was actually quite good. This is a very good four-man rush. Uh, and you saw a big split when they did and didn't get pressure. When they got pressure, they were an above-average pass defense. When they didn't, all their numbers plummeted, uh, and, and which reflects, to me, the coverage issue. Stingley played really well at the end of the year, and it looks like he's going to be the guy that they hoped they would be. I think just adding to that secondary slot is a position that I think I'd be interested in seeing them address um, just to continue building on, you know, what we saw from the end of the season, which was a, a, an improving defense that tackled well and played hard, but was still just a few players away. And I think they can do a lot this off season to just add on to sort of carry out D'Amico Ryan's vision. Or just just go crazy on the offense and like get T Higgins or something and just let Ryan's because man Ryan's was so good at taking guys that you know weren't effective elsewhere and making them look quite good. So you can count on like you mentioned the slot position. He's taking Desmond King off the street and he's making plays for them. But you're right, uh, they need to upgrade their talent uh, in the second. That is where one area where I would definitely try to get better. Uh, The Bills are really tricky. I think this one is tough. It's it, okay. So we're in the final three teams. Now we've got the bills, the Ravens and the lions. They're all hard because you make, you made it this far for well, the lions aren't hard. Actually, that's pretty glaring and obvious. So we'll get to that. I think, but um, the bills and the Ravens are hard. The bills are particularly difficult in my opinion. Um, this is a, you know, an older roster, second oldest defense in football. It's a roster that actually, I think outperformed its injuries on defense in particular. And, you did get some contributions from players that they've drafted over the last few years. I think what's kind of, well, it's, it's tricky because I do think they have good players, but they don't have, they're missing great players on defense. If that makes sense in terms of the, the younger guys that they've drafted. And then the guy that they paid to be great, Von Miller was terrible and he is eating an extraordinary amount of cap. Um, I, I wrote they need to get younger and faster on both sides of the ball, which is a cop-out answer because it covers <laughs> too many things. But the truth is I actually think they need both a young wide receiver one, a parent, and then a young edge to, you know, be the guy. But the, the, those are only like, you know, extremely hard things to find. So that's why I feel kind of stupid throwing those out as jobs. Right. Mine is also a cop-out answer because it's less what 
I think they need to do and more just uh, a prediction of what I, I think they might do, which is trade Stefan Diggs. Yeah. And well, that does tails nicely with mine. Yeah. I Actually. You, you saw in the second half of the season how they could run an effective offense without Stefan Diggs being the centerpiece of it. So you, you have proof of concept there. Now, Gabe Davis is also a free agent, and I kind of doubt he's going to be back too. So that, that's a lot of speed that you'd be losing. But their offensive line is, is set. That's the best offensive line, Brandon Bean, their, their GM said, since they've been there in 2017, and I, I agree, and they're all coming back. So that that's a really strong starting point. I still think Stefan Diggs would have a lot of trade value, and that's part of what uh, do you? I, I, I do. I do, because I just think it's so hard to get receivers. I think you've talked about this or was it you? Was it, was it Nick Wright with you that, that like almost this, the receiver market at some point is going to get saturated. Like yeah. are these salaries going to come down? Cause there's like so many good receivers every year. And my answer is no, there's, we are not close to having enough great receivers because every team needs two to three of them. And Stefan Diggs, I, I do think would still, I don't know what it would be, whether it'd be a first round pick or not, but I absolutely think someone, I tend to think people would give a first round pick for Stefan Diggs too. And it just feels like it's maybe time of things that you've heard a little bit behind that I've heard rather behind the scenes somewhat that like he could have a little bit of a fresh start and still be effective. Maybe behind the scenes, his brother was like, get my brother out of Buffalo. Well, that's exactly (laughs) <laughs> Good point. I'm, I'm thinking of something separate, but you're, you're absolutely right. Um, yeah. Like, wouldn't you give up a first round pick for no, Stefan Diggs if you were I picking wouldn't. in the 20s? I absolutely would. I still would. I don't think he's cooked, but there were some pretty alarming trends in the second half of last season. I think the thing you got to figure out is how much of that was the offense moving away from him and his usage, but the, or versus what did they move away from him because they didn't trust him to win the way he did before. I, um, Keegan Abdo works at next gen stats and does a fantastic job, uh, digging into the numbers on matchups every week. Uh, and I were talking about this. I think it was actually ahead of the playoff game. Cause I, I was like looking at Diggs's numbers. I, everyone, you know, his production was obviously way down. Right. Uh, and I was trying to figure out what was going on because his target share wasn't actually that. He was still getting fed. And also his it, it, it his air yards weren't way down. So it wasn't like his average at the target. But the problem was when you, so NGS breaks it you know, down by route distribution and that kind of thing. What happened was in, basically as the year went on, he was only getting thrown screens and go balls. <laughs> So it was like pulling his average to the middle um, and he wasn't being used over the middle of the field as much the way he was before where he would get yards after the catch. So he was kind of like a decoy a lot or he was just getting like useless screens. Had some huge like third and nine conversions to win games during that streak. Like when they absolutely needed to play there late and and I know this is – this is not going to be supported by any numbers, obviously. But I do think receiver more than any position is like an emotional position. It's a vibes position. No, that, that's I why think I'm... that was bad. And we've seen yeah, guys at receiver sort of have that second life when they weren't yeah. necessarily feeling it in their old place for a year or two. So if I was a team like the Saints or the Patriots aren't in the right spot of the first round, but like a mid-20s pick where you just don't have receivers are hard to find. I don't think it's that crazy. 
I could I could definitely see him having a rebound. And also receiver, he's what, 30, 31, I think. It's a position 30, where you can yeah. still play at a very high level, you know, past that. So, yeah, we'll see. Before uh, we move from the Bills, just they have a ton of decisions. Like Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, Von Miller. Um, I mentioned Gabe Davis. Can they Even save Tr- money? Davis White, I assume, is coming back, but he's coming off another torn ACL. So it's just like yeah. a lot of guys, all these guys that have been there before, are. some of them are free agents, some would have to be cut, but it's just like how much of a change in uh, who they are kind of as a franchise that they want. Because to me, Poy, uh, Poyer and Hyde are like sort of the definition of these bills, and they put them up at the podium after that last mm-hmm. game. It almost felt like a good a goodbye from them. Just a yeah, I, I think... If you're encouraged by anything as a Bills fan, it's that the defense played so well despite losing all of those players. And I do think some of the younger guys, like the linebackers that they've drafted over the last few years, Bernard, Dodson, um, uh, the Rousseau and Epinesa, again, and they're, they're not stars, but they're good players. So there's a floor there where you're, you're still going to be good. Uh, and I, so I'm not like panicking about the bills. It just feels like they need a superstar on that side of the ball. The superstar was, you know, I mean, it's the linebacker. Matt Milano is probably the best player and he'll come back, you know, but it feels like edge corner, you know, safety, some question marks. I mean, that's Sean um, gets what he wants. He gets defensive players and they just keep coming in. I was not sure what to do for the Ravens. Um, mm. Especially like I was looking at the offense. I was like, they're, I don't really have, have that many things that need to be addressed. There's some free agents. Gus Edwards is a free agent. Aguilar and OBJ are free agents. There's more free agents on defense. And I think that's going to be ultimately where the big decisions have to be made. Queen, Matavike, Clowney, Van Noy, some of the veterans who came in. Um but I think probably I would just say, you know, losing the coordinator we talked about at the beginning, promoting within and then sustaining that level of play on that side of the ball will be very challenging and something that, you know, they have extremely good players, but it's not a foregone conclusion. Great defense year to year can be hard to replicate. Yeah, I think they the reporting I've seen is is they do like Denard Wilson, who's, who's been there as an assistant, and he's the, the likely elevation, but we'll see. I... I would disagree. I think they need more pop offensively. I know they made it work, uh, but I think OBJ and Aguilar being free agents sort of puts a circle on it that, heck, they'd be a great option for Stefan Diggs if they, if they built. Like, they really have one. I know they hit on their first-round wide receiver, but that that's it. That's that's what they have. Like, Rashad Bateman, Rashad they, Bateman they, they trusted I enough. Disrespect. Right. They they trusted enough late in the season. They all but benched OBJ in the playoffs. It it yeah. sort of slipped under the radar that Bateman had like in the first round 44 snaps, Beckham had 20. It was a little closer in the divisional round. But so that means you really have like one wide receiver that you feel like you can totally rely on. So that that's important to me. Their starting guards are also both uh, yeah. free agents and, and both played really well this season. Uh, John Simpson was out there. Bl- Blown open holes. I never, yeah. I didn't know much about John Simpson before this year, but he had some like wow plays. Yeah, both cards really good. Um, yeah, I, I, I do think wide receivers certainly something they would have to address regardless. And there, I think there is an opportunity to upgrade there. Mm, but I yeah, they, I De- wish they signed DeAndre Hopkins. I bet they wish it too. Oh, I know. It would have been such a nice pair. He would have been so good in that offense too. <laughs> 
But yeah, I think um, of all the players I mentioned on defense, I have to look at the cap. I think that that's just we'll, I, I actually have no feel for who they're going to bring back and prioritize. It feels like year after year they bring in these veterans like Clowney and Van Noy, and they're awesome. And I think can you keep counting on that is a question always with this Ravens defense. I still think they're going to be very good. The spine of the defense, they're still incredibly talented, particularly the spine of the defense, although Matabike and Queen are both part of that. Um, I think, I think they if tag they tag Matabike, if, if, if I had to guess of any of those guys, he would be the priority. And I, that would be a good decision, I think, because the build of that defense, the way they play, I expect to remain the, the, I, the, I expect schematically it to remain pretty sim- similar to what we saw this year. I don't think they're going to change their identity. Um, okay. Lions. I wrote one corner two, mm. also corner three, also corner question mark. <laughs> uh, <laughs> See, we don't have the exact same. We don't, you don't have that. I, that's part of it, but I never no, see obviously this- the biggest problem with this football team. I I wonder if in Dan Campbell's heart of hearts, if he is more disappointed by their cornerback play or their pass rush, because yeah. I know they have Aiden Hutchinson and yet they're one of the worst pass rushes in the NFL, like all season, whenever they, it was always such a clear test. Whenever they played a good offensive line, there was just like, there was no heat. There's, there was nothing and they had to create it and they, and they could sometimes. So, so that's it. Cause they, they invested a lot in those edges and in the draft and in free agency and in the tackles and just, it hasn't been happening. So, um, I'm going to say pass rush. Yeah. I hear you on pass rush. That was certainly a problem for them at the very end, I think, and something that they have to get better at. But, uh, and, and, you know, again, with corner, it's like Emmanuel Mosley got hurt, obviously, that wasn't something they foresaw happening, but it's hard to look at them and be think if only Emmanuel Mosley had been healthy, they would have been fine. Just watching teams so deliberately go after Sutton and Vildor Sutton too, by the way, a signing that I was, I think a lot of NFL media was very high on. They got to get better quarter. Fortunately, was, was Brian Branch high. looks like I, an I absolute top 25 on my free agents list. Okay. So uh, okay. you couldn't be more right. But they do have a ton of cap space, which is nice. They're in a nice uh, spot. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is a free agent. I suspect they'll they'll want to try to bring him back. They wouldn't be also a crazy Mike Evans hurt. team out there. One more weapon. <laughs> I, I would say Brandon, Brian Branch looks like a star. So... Mm-hmm. You got, you know, it's not like you're totally def- devoid of talent at that position. It just, you can't hang, I think. I mean, maybe, you know, I, I they've hit on so many players that it's actually, I think, uh, and obviously retaining the offensive coordinator, and we'll see about defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn at the, as of this moment, still in the running for Washington, but massive. Um, you had a great post uh, after the Chiefs beat the Ravens, I think I saw you post about how like one an, a very underrated piece of the Chiefs dynasty is the fact that nobody wants to hire Steve Spagnuolo so that they just keep him as... But I kind of was thinking about that with the sure. Lions. Like, you know, world's best boss, Dan Campbell, if he can mm. keep the band together, that's pretty huge. That, yeah, no, you couldn't be more right. I mean, that is, it is an incredible advantage, the continuity they have. I mean, Ben Johnson, I believe, is tied for the longest tenured offensive play caller in the league, which is preposterous. <laughs> That's insane. like no one, no one has lasted longer than those couple of years. And 
it's an awesome staff. I'm I'm so happy. It broke my heart. I, as we're taping this, I I watched the that film. Uh, it was just like a horror movie watching that film again. And there's just these little moments like like Josh Reynolds is, is like wide open on the first down and goal right before halftime. Um, it's one of the few misses Goff had that. And then Jameer Gibbs like slips on the screen on third down and like might have gotten in or might have gotten to the one yard line if he hadn't slipped before he caught it. And you just like relive these moments and you think, man, the Lions could be in the Super Bowl. They were so close. Are you uh, before I let you go? I do want to ask because you're you're a very close Rams observer being here in Los Angeles. I don't know if you heard earlier this week on my show with Dominique. I repented a little bit on Jared Goff. Mm. I'm sold. Uh, before the season, I thought that they should not extend him or at least be very hesitant to do so. Um, I have since changed my mind, not just because of, I think, who this team is and the way that they're built, which I think it happens to be very good for Jared Goff. Like the, the they're a team that's built with a very strong offensive line and players who can win over the middle of the field. You have a quarterback in Goff who literally is his best, most perfect self in that exact environment. But mm-hmm. also like some of the throws he made, especially this year, but in the postseason in particular throws outside the numbers throws under pressure at times. Like I, I was, I was impressed. I'm I like being wrong in a when in a being a positively surprised way, and I, I I take it back. I think they should keep Jared off. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm taking the L on that as well. They can their offense was obviously good enough to win a Super Bowl right now with yeah. him playing exactly as well as he is right now. And I think one of the reasons is he. He's obviously not the same guy he was in Los Angeles, but he's improved on his weaknesses. Like it helps yes. that Ben Johnson has answers against the blitz. That's coaching and that's golf. But he gets through his reads faster. Like he was always a guy I thought took a while to to get to two to three, and like he he gets through them faster now. There are a few more second reaction plays. There's definitely more throws outside the numbers. I'm not saying like those are super duper strengths, but they're no longer big weaknesses. So. I'm with you. He will get, I assume he's getting that contract this off season. And you could tell with his post game press conference or his post season press conference that like he's, ex- he wants it. He's expecting it. And he's not going to play Mr. Nice guy. <laughs> the Reynolds drop. Right. I don't know if Jared Goff makes that play where he's, you know, steps up, avoids pressure, it, you know, not a perfect throw, but certainly good enough. A previous version of him. It's cool. It, again, I, I, I'm repeating myself a little bit, but like quarterbacks, quarterbacks can change. Quarterbacks can get better. Lessons we learned. We're on, we're on ESPN two right now. Mina. <laughs> or maybe we're not, maybe they'll cut all this out. You know, I remember we used to, we used to do it in person. Just the last time was days before the world shut down. Yeah. That's true. Well, we are on ESPN two. This part will be on ESPN two. So I wanted to thank you, Greg Rosenthal of around the NFL your excellent podcast for coming on this show. Thanks as always to the fine folks at Omaha, Kristen Sobecki, Sobecki, pardon me, Owen Saylor, Anthony Jimenez. And I will be back next week at the Super Bowl. 